So my family stayed in Green Bay. They are, uh, we're a part of All Saints Church up in Green Bay and felt that would be a little bit easier. Since August, my, my kids are all at that age where they bring home lots of disease. We've had four diseases go through our house since August and none of them were COVID. So there's at least one more out there, right? So <laughs> optimism. Um, it is uh, wonderful to be with you guys this morning, and as Dan mentioned, um, we are going to be looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your, your bulletin, uh, it is printed there, or you can open your Bible. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing things to us through it, things that you are doing, the things that you are at work accomplishing. And Lord, as we enter into this story and as we recognize its significance for our lives because of your mission of redemption, Lord, would you give us hope? Would you give us peace? And would you give us an expectation of greater things yet? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I know that you guys are working through the book of Ezra. It's a book that is filled with fulfilled promises as the people are returning home after a time of exile. It's a time of, of building and a time of refocus on what it means to be faithful to God and his word. And, and while Ezra presents to us this the season of revival and rebuilding, well, if you know what comes next, eventually the moment fades. The people kind of fall back into the ordinary. Sometimes they follow after the Lord, and well, sometimes they don't. Until one day, that temple that was rebuilt, that altar which was restored, well, it would be destroyed yet again. As we go through life, we experience these ups and downs, these seasons of faithfulness, 
Seasons of experiencing God seemingly so close and near to us in times when he seems silent. Where should we fix our gaze? Where should we set our hearts so that we do not dismay as we see denominations rise and denominations fall? As we see church leaders rise and fall? As we feel God and his presence and as he seems distant? Where do we fix our gaze? It is upon Christ. We should set our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ, for he is the one who is rebuilding the holy city, and he is doing it once and for all. I chose John 2, 1 through 11 for today's message. One, because uh, I'm working through John with the students at Providence Academy. Uh, But two, because it is in this passage that John points us towards this bigger and final picture. He points us to Jesus. He points us to the Christ and his work. And, and what we are going to see as we look into this passage is this thing that Jesus is doing. And we are going to see that through first the sign, then the remark, thirdly the vessel, and finally through the surprise. The sign, the remark, the vessel, and the surprise, beginning with the sign. You know, a lot of times when talking about this wedding in Cana in Galilee, uh, the the question that comes up, the thing that gets focused on is Jesus' first miracle, right? What did Jesus do with his first miracle? He turned water into wine, and all of a sudden we have this excellent opportunity to, to debate alcohol and discuss, you know, how could this be? Jesus' first miracle. Oh, Jesus, or yes, Jesus, or, you know, where do we fall on this? Well, one of the things that I think we often miss is that John doesn't call it a miracle. John calls it a sign. He calls it a sign. You see, there's a few different uh, words that can be used when talking about a miraculous power, and, and usually, typically, the word that is used when discussing miracles and Jesus' miracles is, uh, could literally be translated a work of power. But that's not what John says here. He doesn't say this was Jesus' first work of power. He says this was the first of his signs. What's a sign? A sign is something that points to something else. As I was driving down here from Green Bay, you know, I'm coming along and my little navigation is chirping at me, you know, in one mile, take exit onto, I don't remember what exit it was, onto 441 South. And then I look and I see this great big green sign, 441 South. I go, ah, that's what the computer was talking about. And I turn. The sign is not the exit. The sign is showing me where the exit is. It is pointing to the exit. Jesus here in this wedding is performing a sign. He is giving us a sign. He's pointing to something. What is he pointing to? I'll tell you the answer. He is pointing to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is pointing 
to his wedding, to his feast, to when those who are in Christ will gather at the table of the Lord and feast with great rejoicing. It's a sign. It's pointing to something. The title of my sermon, the, the second part, I called it Save the Date. You know, because when people get married, often they send out mailings, right? We just got one last week from one of my wife's cousins. Save the date. We're getting married. What does that mean? It means block off your calendar, right? There's a day, it's coming, it's significant, it's important to us, we hope it's important to you. Would you please block off your calendar and make sure that you don't have other plans on this particular date because we'd really like you there and we think you'd like to be here as well. You know, Jesus, Jesus is sending out his save the date. But it's not that we ought to block off our calendar. No, we need to block off our heart. We need to block off our heart. We need to set aside whatever else we may be hoping in, that we may be desiring, that our passions may be aroused towards. We need to set aside that place in our heart and block it off because Jesus is doing something. Something is coming and it is not to be missed. Tell me what you hope in and I will show you what you most value. Tell me what you hope in and I'll show you what you most value. What is it that you find yourself hoping for or in? It speaks to the things that we love, the things that we desire, the things that we value. And Jesus is saying, block off your heart. Hope in me. Hope in what I'm doing. Save the date. This sign is pointing to that. Secondly, the remark. So here we have Jesus and his disciples. They come to this wedding and they're in uh, Cana and Galilee. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes up to Jesus. And, uh, well, she says, they have no wine. Right? There's a problem. Big party ran out of wine. That's not good. And Jesus responds to his mother, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, I don't know what your relationship with your mom is like, but I know that if my mother came and said something to me and I responded with, woman, that wouldn't go over so well. If one of my boys came to my wife and said, woman, what does this have to do with me? Yeah, that's just not going to fly, is it? There is no way to soften this. This is not okay. What, what is Jesus doing here? And, and Mary, of course, becomes incredibly indignant and, you know, feels like her son has just blown her off and huffs out in a storm, Right? No. No, Mary like responds to this remark, to this comment by turning to the servants and kind of like a with a wink and a nod says, "Do whatever he tells you." 
okay, apparently Mary and Jesus are communicating on a different plane because, you know, seems like whatever they are saying to each other, we are not privy to this. What is going on here? You know, whenever you go to a wedding, often it causes you to think, to reflect. You think about your own wedding, you think about weddings future and weddings past. Weddings are a wonderful time to slow down and to consider where you are and what's going on in life. Leading up to my wedding, uh, my, my wife and I, we were at a wedding of a friend's and and we were sitting there, and in part of the service, they had this scripture reading that we loved. Before the bride came walking down the aisle, they had the, the person reading scripture come up, and they read from Genesis. The part about God forming the woman out of man, and then he brought the woman to the man. And at that line, the music started playing and the bride started coming down the aisle and I thought, wow, that was cool. I like that. I'm stealing that. And I did. (laughs) And it was my favorite part of our wedding. One of them. The, The wedding part was also pretty good, you know, getting married. So there we were engaged, getting ready for our wedding at another wedding, and my mind was there, but also elsewhere. I was preparing for the wedding that I was about to enter into. I think Jesus is doing the same thing. I think Jesus is here, and he is at a wedding, but he is reflecting on the wedding that is yet to come, his wedding, the wedding in which he is the groom, and do you know who the bride is? It's us. It's the church, his people. Jesus is reflecting on his wedding. And you know, Jesus' wedding is kind of a big deal because it is the time when Jesus comes and he marries his bride whom he has made ready. He has purified. He has cleansed. It is the culmination of God's mission of redemption, a mission that began all the way back before the creation of the heavens and the earth. A mission that began all the way back in Genesis 1. And and I think that as Jesus is reflecting on his wedding, his mind is going to a particular promise. A promise that we see in Genesis 3.15. In which it says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman. Who is the seed? It's Jesus. He is the offspring. And who is the woman? It's Mary. I believe that as Jesus is here 
And he is thinking about his wedding, the wedding that is yet to come. And his mother comes to him and says they have no wine. He turns to her, but he does not speak to her as mom. Because in this moment, she is the woman of the promise. She is the woman of the offspring. She is the woman of the seed, the one in whom God is bringing redemption and restoration and making all things new. And, and I don't think this is too far of a stretch because John, from the beginning of his gospel, has started in Genesis. Do you remember how John 1.1 begins? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He starts with creation. And then he marches through Jesus Christ coming to earth. Jesus Christ being baptized. Jesus Christ calling his disciples, and now Jesus Christ at this wedding feast. Another interesting thing about John, um, in the beginning of John, John is counting days. You've got John, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and then, then you have the next day, John the Baptist, and then another day, he's calling his disciples, and then another day, and then in the beginning of this passage, it says, on the third day, there was a wedding. And, and if you go back and you start counting days, and if you understand how the Hebrews understood days, you would count from the beginning of John until now. It's actually the seventh day. This is irregular for John. He doesn't normally count days. In fact, uh, even with the crucifixion and the resurrection, he doesn't really count days. But in the beginning of John, he's counting days. Again, I think he has his mind in Genesis. Jesus Jesus is restoring all things. He, bring, he is bringing redemption. He is recreating. And here we are on the seventh day, a day of rest and celebration. And so through this remark, our minds are drawn back to this promise that God has made. And if this is not enough evidence, what does Jesus say? He says, my hour has not yet come. Whenever Jesus in the Gospels refers to my hour, usually he's referencing the cross, right? his death and his resurrection, this time that has been set apart by God that Satan would be done away with and destroyed, that sin and death would be no more, and that the bride would get to be with her groom forever. The promise that is yet to be fulfilled is in the mind of Jesus. Well, Mary goes and uh, she tells the servants, hey, do whatever he tells you. And the servants say, oh, okay. And it says, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And you guys know what happens. The water is wine, right? It became wine. How interesting Jesus looks over and he sees these jars, jars for purification rites. 
You see, Moses had given them rites and rituals, things that they were to do in order to purify and cleanse themselves, things that they were to do to wash utensils and to wash different items that they had to purify them, to make it so that the people of God could dwell in the presence of a holy God. And yet, through all of it, the law could not save Rites and rituals and purifications would never cleanse forever. They were incomplete. John makes note that there are six stone water jars. Seven is the number of perfection in Scripture. It's one less, not quite perfect. And Jesus takes these jars and he does his first sign. He changes the water in these purification jars and he makes wine. I don't think that that's an accident. No, there's only one thing that can cleanse there's only one thing that it can cleanse forever, and it is the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died. And in doing so, the punishment of sin, the wrath of the Lord God was poured out on him instead of us. And he rises again victorious over sin and death, and those who receive him, who believe in his name, are clothed in his blood. They are clothed in his righteousness, for Jesus does what the law could not. He brings the law to completion. He fulfills it, and he perfects it through his work on the cross. Well, the servants they take it and they serve it. And they serve it to the master of the ceremony. The fourth thing that I would like you to take notice of, the surprise. So the master of ceremony in those days, he would be like the, um, uh, the MC of, of a wedding today, the master of the feast. And and in those days, um, a, a wedding, okay, was not like something where you go to it, you know, I show up in the afternoon, or you, we go through the ceremony, then we have a big meal, and we dance, and, you know, we stay pretty late, and then we go home, or maybe we've got a hotel room, and we spend the night, and then we head home. No, um, a wedding in those days was a much longer affair, right? It was a big deal, and, and it was a family affair. It isn't something that you just you know, hired people to go do this thing. No, it would be the responsibility of the family to put on this ceremony. It'd be a great ceremony. It'd be a multi-day ceremony, the sort of thing where you go and you party and you have fun and you celebrate and then you go to bed and, you know, you change outfits and you come back and day two of partying and then you go to bed and change up and this is a big thing. The family would be responsible for it. The whole town would be involved and Whew. you don't want to mess that up. Can you imagine the social embarrassment? Like, the, 
the faux pas of all social faux pas. You ran out of wine. It wasn't enough drink. I mean, imagine if you were putting on a wedding and, and all of a sudden the people go to the, the mother of the bride and uh, we ran out of chicken. <laughs> but uh, it's okay, there's still a lot of salad. This family would have never lived this down. This bride and this groom, unless they moved far away, to the day they die, it would have been, oh yeah, you guys are the ones who ran out of wine. This again. There's a major social faux pas, and, and Jesus, Jesus had saved them hadn't he? I said that this would be a, a, a family affair, something that the town would have gathered for, but, but the master of feast, okay, this master of ceremony, this person most likely would have been somebody who was used to being that guy, right? The one in charge of making sure everything went smoothly. And so this guy would have traveled from wedding to wedding to wedding to wedding to wedding. He'd been to a few, And when the master of the feast tasted the wine, he is surprised. He is surprised because this isn't just good wine. This is the best wine. Oh, it's so good. And he is surprised because he knows how these things go. He's he's been to one or two of these. This isn't his first rodeo. He knows, like, you start out with the more expensive stuff. And then as the party drags on and people are more fatigued and they've been drinking a little bit more and they're not really paying as close of attention, then the stuff that isn't quite as, you know, top shelf, that's when that starts coming out. He goes, wow, (laughs) you guys were different. You kept the best till last Not only that, but it wasn't just a little bit of wine. Do you remember how big those jars were? 20 to 30 gallons each, six of them. So that's 30 gallons. That's 180 gallons of wine. 180 gallons of wine. That's not a small amount, right? That's a lot of wine, the best wine. Now, now, when we um, are talking about wine and, and alcohol in the Bible, uh, usually the Bible is uh, referencing one of two things when it's talking about alcohol. Um, one of them is that it brings joy and gladness and delight. And the other is condemning drunkenness and debauchery. And so you have something that God has made, and God has made it good and, and yet in our sin, right, we take it and we twist it and we corrupt it and we use it for something that the Lord calls evil. The Lord Jesus Christ is here to redeem that, to restore and redeem and make it right. Jesus comes 
and he saves this family from this incredible social embarrassment. He does this miracle in which he takes jars of purification, the rites of purification, and he uses those to show that he is bringing joy and gladness and delight, and, and not just a little bit, the best. It's going to be so good. This wedding is a sign the first of his signs. And it is pointing to what Jesus is doing. It is pointing to what Jesus has already done on the cross, the already, and what he is yet to complete, the not yet. That Jesus is doing away with all sin. He is crushing the head of the serpent. He is bringing an end to sin and death. He is bringing an end to sadness and tears. He is bringing an end to the burdens and the miseries of this life and this world and the social faux pas that we find ourselves in and the embarrassments. He is bringing an end to all of it. Because when the final wedding comes... All of us are going to get to enjoy and rejoice and celebrate and enjoy what Jesus Christ has done. And so, Emmaus Road, save the date. It's going to be good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son that we might experience redemption, that we might experience restoration, that we might experience newness of life, that we might experience the joy and the gladness that you offer because you have fulfilled your promises. You are redeeming all things. You are making all things new. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.